0: IRE Radio.
1: You're listening to the IRE Radio podcast. IRE, with you on your beat for 40 years. I'm Sean Chinaman, and today on the show we've got the brothers Fainaru, Steve Fainaru and Mark fainaru Wada, investigative reporters for ESPN. I'll let them tell you their complete bios here shortly, but the two have very much been at the forefront of the reporting on the NFL and brain injuries.
2: You had the NFL, which has this, you know, um, place in the culture, unique, extraordinary place in the culture, Um, the incredible amount of money that's involved, and the growing realization, the growing body of evidence that... the the core of the sport, the violence at the core of the sport is not only destructive in the way that we all know, but can be, you know, can basically erase your identity. That tension struck me from the very beginning, journalistically, as something that could be, um, that could really be played out to dramatic effect.
1: We'll talk a lot about that today about the reporting itself, but also about what it was like to chase the story for ESPN specifically, which of course has this enormously profitable relationship with the NFL. ESPN in 2013 actually dropped out of a partnership deal to back the documentary, League of Denial, which featured Mark and Steve's reporting. The brothers also co-wrote a book under that title, League of Denial. You'll hear about all of that on this episode. And then some of my favorite stuff has to do with their reportedly relationship as brothers. Trust, intimidation, patience, or lack thereof, etc. Do
0: you guys remember that I promised to be the last brother question? <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: it's, fine. Uh, it's fine. You'll bring me to tears let's, eventually. Let's, let's call mom
2: and <laughs> get her. Let's, let's, <laughs> exactly. let's, get, let's get mom and like, the kids involved.
1: <laughs> All of that is coming up on the IRE Radio podcast. Before we start just a little bit about this episode. It's not really quite like any episode we've done before, in that, for one, Steve and Mark were on Mizzou's campus when we recorded. Irie is based at Mizzou, if you didn't know. And so, part of this audio is from a recorded session the guys did with an investigative reporting class. Full disclosure, I am in that class. We met in a small room in the journalism school library and set up this sort of old timey looking silver microphone. It sat propped up on one of the long tables in the room. And for about 30 minutes, Myself and Sarah Hutchins, the editor slash co-producer slash brains behind this show, talked with Mark and Steve before the rest of the class came in. The audio on this episode then is pulled from those conversations. Okay, so let's meet the Fanaru brothers. Bio number one, younger brother, Mark.
0: Uh, I'm Mark Fain-Ruada. Uh I'm a reporter at ESPN. And uh, as my background is I, I spent most of my journalism career in print Um, Working for newspapers, most largely as a sports writer for years before sort of moving more into investigative um, and uh, worked at a bunch of different papers. Ultimately, was at the San Francisco Chronicle for about 10 years um, and then went to ESPN about seven years ago to be part of a unit that was um, being created to do more investigative reporting.
1: It's pretty tough to give Mark's background without mentioning that he and his colleague at the Chronicle, Lance Williams, were leaders in reporting the Bauco story, which linked Barry Bonds and Marion Jones and dozens of other high-profile athletes to the use of performance-enhancing drugs. He won a George Polk Award for that work. Here's Steve with his bio.
2: And I'm Steve Andrew. Um I, uh, I also am a reporter for ESPN. Um, I... Uh, I worked most of my career until ESPN and newspapers. I was at the Boston Globe for a long time and the uh, Washington Post. I've kind of gone in and out of sports. Um, I I uh, when I was at the Post, I started as a kind of an investigative sports writer, and then very quickly um, moved over to the news side and worked um, first in investigative, and then um, became a foreign correspondent and covered the Iraq War for about three and a half years. Then came back. Um, and was sort of like a roving foreign correspondent um, working out of uh, California where where we live. We live in the Bay Area. And uh, then I...
0: Not together. Steve is going to point point out we don't don't share bunk beds anymore.
2: (laughs) And uh, uh, and then uh, I got involved in a startup, uh, an online startup called The Bay Citizen, which I did for a couple years. And then um, as, just as that was being absorbed by the Center for Investigative Reporting. Um, I, we, Mark and I got offered the, the um, contract to do the book for Crown, um, and I got an offered a job to join Mark at ESPN, and that's where I've been ever since since about 2012. And we both sort of work for the same unit, kind of. Mark does more television, and I do more print, but it's it's all very synergistic so we're we're kind of have the same same editors and same kind of the same unit.
0: And he did not include in his bio his Pulitzer Prize. The Pulitzer winner in the family. Just that too. Pulitzer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that Pulitzer is from two thousand and eight for international reporting. Steve was nominated for the same award in two thousand and six. Early on in the interview, Sarah and I asked about the logistics of how Mark and Steve tackle projects together, and how the fact they're brothers might impact that relationship.
0: Mostly it's been a phenomenal experience, yeah. you know, we, Steve and I had always wanted Being to Being my together. brother or working well, together? Well, <laughs> that's a different animal. <laughs> um, no, working together and, and uh, you know, we'd always wanted to do a project together and talked about it at various points along the way, and so when, when we had the opportunity with the book League of Denial and then, and then working at ESPN together. It, you know, it's, it's, uh, we get to spend a lot of time together, you know, so, um, and we both have, you know, we have families and lives that are keep, you know, so this is a chance to, we travel together at times and we hang out and so, but I think from a reporting standpoint, you know, because we know each other so well, because we trust each other so much, um, and I, you know, and I think respect each other as much as we do, I mean, I, you know, Steve laughs and sort of brushes off when I say this, but he's, he's the best journalist I know. I mean, he's just unbelievable. And so, there's a, there's a trust level that comes with that. And I do think doing this kind of reporting uh, in tandem requires a deep level of trust in the person you're working with. And so um, from that standpoint, I think there's a huge value. Um, and then I think we both share, you know, just that we share an interest in this kind of work, you know, so there's a passion that we both share in, in, in going after it. You know, it presents challenges because we're brothers. and um, you know, The biggest challenge has not been at all the sort of reporting. Um, for me, and I don't think Steve's really faced much of a challenge around it other than dealing with me, um, is, you know, for me is more around the writing of the book. It was just harder, you know, a harder process. I, I have a harder time with it, um, and so Steve had to deal with the hard time I was having with it. In
2: in what
0: way? Well, I, I, don't, I, I find it just the prospect, project, the, the, the process of writing a book is really hard. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, my brother won the Pulitzer, he's three years older than me, he's really talented. So there's an intimidation factor around that that, that is hard. And, and so you combine that with the actual process of writing, which I find difficult at times, um, made that challenging for me. Um, but, but other than that, you know, the reporting was fantastic and a blast, and, uh, and the rest of it And as we continue to work on stuff, so.
1: The ways Steve and Mark work together vary from project to project, but at times they'll do interviews together. That happened a lot during the reporting for their book, League of Denial, but not as much during the reporting for a recent ESPN feature on Chris Borland, an NFL linebacker who had a standout rookie year and then just walked away from the game, fearing what it could do to his mental health in the long term.
0: I think it's an interesting process because mostly I think it turns out to be great. I don't think I've ever felt Mm -hmm. like, you know, oh, this is sort of encumbering us because we're both sitting down together. I think more often than not, one of us is remembering something the other one didn't that we wanted to ask, right. um, or playing off something that the interview that the subject has said that the other person didn't, you know, washed over or messed right. or whatever. So it's, you know, it's two set of two sets of ears basically, and I think that's been really helpful and 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 I think we play off each other pretty well because we know each other so well and and there's a I I think most of the time with subjects there's a comfort factor too that sort of emerges around both of us being there in some way. Um, I think there's times where. It's probably better for somebody to have one person. And and we've done a lot of interviews separately. And this Borland story, Steve spent way more time with Borland than I did. And I think in many ways, uh, I mean, who knows what it would have been like if we were both there for all the interviews. But in many ways, I think Steve was able to really get a much more intimate look at Chris uh, by spending as much time and being in sort of uh, a less, like a more informal kind of setting. Whereas if two of us were there, it might have felt a little more. Uh, Contrived or reporterly or something like that. Yeah.
2: I mean, just to add, you know, I'll just throw this in, just since we're on the subject, like all this stuff that Mark talks about, you know, the intimidation factor and all that, I, I really have zero patience for that stuff. Like, I, I, it goes very tiresome for me. Because obviously he's <laughs> well, it's, super... It's, I not, mean, your, I was, it's not your issue I, to deal with. Yeah, you I don't have to deal with it. I understand, it. but well, like so in a real... You asked
0: me a question. I'm going to answer the question. I know, but
2: I'm just saying like in a real way, like he's obviously super accomplished journalist, incredibly talented, so... You know, I just feel like okay, you know, fine. i You're older than you, but like okay, you know. He's like,
0: get over it. Yeah, that's sort of yeah, the way. Well, I am. This is a total that's big sort of brother, brother am, response. Bro. It's a very nice, supportive response. <laughs> get over I've it. i have kind of
2: been impatient. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've got the true. Now you're getting the true <laughs> <Yeah>. brother coming <laughs> out. But, yeah. Soon we'll be. <laughs> soon we be on the floor kicking <laughs> shit out of each other. <laughs> What piques your interest in terms of starting an investigation? How do you guys attempt a big project? Is it a story in particular you've worked on, or?
2: I mean, I think that uh, this particular subject originated with Mark. I mean, he he had done a story for ESPN um, on a former NFL player who was struggling, and he came back with the idea for this book. And you know, as he said, we we wanted to do a project together, and. Uh, he just basically presented it to me and I I immediately thought it was a great idea and I think that's true for me in just terms of like what I want to investigate and what I don't I think it really has to sort of resonate with you from the beginning from that first moment because I I think like with a book I felt this I've always felt this way about books like you really have to be passionate about the subject because you know it's gonna take a long time you're gonna be living with the subject for you know for months and even years so you really got to be in um, from the very beginning and know that it's something that you really are interested in. Because um, if you're not, you're kind of defeated from the from the beginning. And with this, to me, it was just so obvious. It's like you had the NFL, which has this you know um, place in the culture, this unique, extraordinary place in the culture, um, the incredible amount of money that's involved, and the growing realization. The growing body of evidence that the 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 core of the sport, the violence at the core of the sport, is not only destructive in the way that we all know, but can be, you know, can basically erase your identity. That tension struck me from the very beginning. It, journalistically, it's something that could be, um, that could really be played out with to dramatic effect.
0: But you knew from the get-go that there was something there. I mean, you're not willing to jump in until you kind of know that there's meat to the story. I did, yeah,
2: I mean, I think I think instinct at some point has to play a role. You know, you, I, there have been plenty of times where, um, you know, I felt an instinct that something was was there, and then, have, you know, tried to report it out over a period of a few months, and it hasn't been there, and then you just move on. But I think there has to be an element where. You're, there, there's plenty of things that um, that that appear that I think are great stories. That is not stuff that I would want to do personally.
0: And I, and I think that is the like that's critical around the, you know, we have the benefit of being able to do that. Not that we get to choose all our own stories because ESPN sometimes will say, oh, here's a project we want you to do. But I think in, in many cases we're able to do that. And and I think that is the sort of critical piece is you gotta you gotta really want to do it. You have to. I mean. And, and the, the nice thing is, unlike covering a beat or um, or you know, covering games, um, we do there's an element of choice involved in what you're picking and being able to do. And so, I think you just have to find something that you're really into, um, because you're gonna want to be. I mean, the reporting is like you have to be so invested in it to take the time of time, emotional sort of like and mental, you know, dedication to to wanting to follow it. It requires you know a level of interest.
1: So we're going to turn the discussion now toward the reporting of the book, League of Denial. It came out in 2013, and it reveals just how far the NFL went to try to deny any link between the violence on the field and the cases of former players who more or less went mad. It follows the story of Mike Webster, who was one of those people who, as Steve put it, had his identity essentially erased. It also tracks the fight for Junior Seau's brain and gives some significant time to Dr. Bennett Amalu, forensic pathologist who first discovered chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, in former NFL players, and was the one who named it. And in summary of the best sports books of 2013, the Boston Globe said League of Denial might end up being the most influential sports-related book of our time.
2: You know, one of the, for me, one of the, the, a a big core of the book was going to be we knew the NFL's efforts to deal with the problem and how they dealt with it and you know thank god they put in writing what they believed you know like 16 scientific papers over a period of what were we saying like eight years years, something like that it was all just there you know in in their own like turgid opaque way you know it was out there but no, no one really had gone through it i think with any real depth and that gave us you know we mined that material i mean to the end. It it was just a gift that kept on giving and it was all just public, you know, it was just, it was just out there. And it also led to other people because, you know, that led to questions like, how did this possibly get into print? Right. And so that question became a central question for us as we were reporting out the book. And so we talked to the people who edited this, those, those journal articles and, Um, We talked to people whose names were on them. um, And that led to a lot of the really uh, core reporting. Um, So that was one, you know, one major, major piece of it. Um, And then I think, I think going back to the beginning, you know, we, we had wanted to, I think, I think one of our goals was trying to, I don't know if we could have articulated it this way at the beginning, but I think one of our goals was to track the you know, sort of the narrative arc of the history of the NFL and brain damage. And so that sort of led us inevitably to Bennett Amalu's discovery of CTE in the brain of Mike Webster. And so that was going to require an enormous amount of reporting around Amalu and um, and Webster. And Webster by then was dead, of course, so that had its own challenges. And then Amalu. Thank, you know, I mean, thank goodness he lived like lives like an hour and a half from us, so we were able to just drive down to the Central Valley and and interview him. I mean, I don't I don't know how many times we went down there, but at least four um, for you know long long interview sessions. And he he literally handed over his computer to us, and it had a trove of emails and you know and um, other stuff that he had written drafts of of articles. I mean, it was just It was just kind of amazing.
1: If Ben and Amalu's name sounds a little familiar to you, it might be from the movie trailers now airing. Amalu is played by Will Smith in the upcoming film, Concussion, due out in December. Here's Smith as Amalu in the trailer. You can make up your own mind on how convincing that accent is. When I was a boy, heaven was here. And America
2: was here. You could be anything, you could do anything. I am the wrong person to have discovered this. You know, we knew Amalo was going to be a big character in the book. I don't think we knew exactly how big, but we drive down to uh, Lodi, which is in um, the the San Joaquin Valley in California. We live in the Bay Area. And so we, we drove down there to see him, and he wanted to meet us at this, like, tony sort of resort. Hotel it was like almost the, 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 the valley is very dry and arid and, and, and farmland. And, and, but this was just like this oasis, you know, like bed and breakfast. And um, so we're sitting out um, in this like patio with fountains and really well-dressed people drinking white wine. Mimosas. and Mimosas and quiche. And, and up pulls this guy in a it's like white Mercedes, just immaculately dressed. Nigerian dude and we're like oh that's a Malu, because like you know there aren't that many people who look like that in Central Valley and uh, and he just couldn't be happier to see us he's a super nice guy and he sits down and he's like I need to let me show you guys a few things and then so we're sitting there having breakfast and like this is one of the first things he does he starts pulling up like the highlights of some of his his greatest autopsies so we're like like you know the most incredible gore you can possibly well, imagine like, there's Mike Webster yeah like the there's table. Webster just, just disemboweled and like it was just insane. Is over so we, we we talked to him for like I, I that day I think we talked to him for maybe five hours yeah, and I was saying this I mean when we drove away I just could not believe I'm like we're golden this guy's gonna be one of the main sources in our book and he's like you could not make this guy up I mean he was just unbelievable I'm really glad that we're not involved in this movie at all, but um, I think Mark and I are really glad that they're they you know you could have made this movie in any number of ways and the fact that they're, that they're having Will Smith play Amalu, I don't think that either of us really believes that they're gonna, this is going to be the Hollywood version of Amalu, so I don't think it's going to capture him in his full glory) <laughs>
0: We had this one small minor little thing that happened that you might have heard about it. I don't know. So we you know the, the project was uh, first started as a book, then it became a book and a documentary. <coughs> and then it became sort of a book, a documentary by frontline that became a documentary by Frontline and ESPN, and a partnership in which we would all do we would do all the reporting and it would be produced on sort of all these platforms. And uh, and for about 15 months, it was this remarkable synergy of of journalism. You know, you Frontline's arguably the not anything arguably the best investigative TV journalism in the world, and and uh, and you know the power of ESPN and the scope and the reach is enormous. Um, You know, nothing like anything either. Nothing like neither Steve or I have ever sort of encountered. The the level of readership is just ludicrous, Um, and the power of its reach into the sports world so it seemed to be a, just a fantastic partnership um, and until about um, three months before or two months before everything was about to be published we'd already been doing a bunch of stories we'd done like nine stories in partnership and everybody was lauding them and saying what a great you know relationship it was and then uh, a couple months before the, the documentary and the book and it was about we about to come out um, we went to a uh, 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 press event in Los Angeles to sort of showcase the the, the trailer for the film basically and uh, and it was an event where it's called the Upfront so it's all the media who cover TV basically and film and they were all there to sort of review what was coming out and PBS was presenting all of its work and one of the things they were touting was Frontline's League of Denial documentary and and that documentary the, the trailer includes among other things, a, a scientists saying at the end, I'm, I'm actually concerned that every single football player is gonna have this neurodegenerative disease. And shortly after that aired and we were all celebrating the great work we looked like we were doing, um, <laughs> ESPN announced it was pulling out of the documentary and didn't want its name on the documentary anymore. And then came a New York Times story that said that that happened as a result of the commissioner of the NFL meeting with um, the head of ESPN. And, uh, and exerting pressure, so ESPN pulled out of the documentary, and uh, we, Steve got a call. Steve and I got a call from our bosses, basically this sort of very formal call saying, ESPN is no longer going to be a producer on the documentary, and uh, you know we were shell shocked and uh, wondering if we would be able to keep working at ESPN and what the implications were and all of that. And there was a lot of sort of journalistic hand wringing that went on, and then, um, uh, but ESPN insisted that it was pulling because of it. Had some legal issues with the logo or something like that, and um, it was a hard sell for sure. But at the same time, they insisted to us that the journalism wasn't going to change, and and in the end, that's just precisely what happened. The documentary came out. ESPN aired excerpts of the documentary, which is what the plan was all along. Um, they ran an excerpt of our book in the magazine. We continued to work on the story, and they really doubled down on it and said, "We want you to keep covering it aggressively," and we have, and so. Um, so that, that was the biggest sort of pressurized event that happened around it. And it's funny because Steve and I would laugh throughout the... You know, we worked on the book for about two years together. And throughout that time, every now and then, we'd say to each other, like, does ESPN really understand sort of like what, what's happening here? What this is going to be like? And, and I don't think until, like, the title League of Denial came out and the, the trailer aired that there was a real sort of understanding. Our bosses all got it, obviously, and they supported us. But at some sort of... Ether higher level, yeah. I think there was a different view.
2: Yeah. I, I've said this before. I mean, it's it's really kind of perverse when, when you think about it, because because the money that's coming from the NFL is funding really basically yeah. our work, right? <laughs> our salary, the you'd work. you'd Like to thank Roger Goodell. For that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but it, it but I, I really we were just talking about this earlier. Like I've come to think feel like that's a really cool thing about ESPN. Mm-hmm that, um, that it's, it's clearly part of the network's you know, DNA from the very beginning is, is doing journalism. And when you look at some of the stories that have been done just recently, um, it's really kind of amazing. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's weird, you know? it's, it's uncomfortable at times, I think for a lot of people at the network, and it certainly became uncomfortable for us during that period when they were, there was all the stuff going on around League of Denial, the, the film, but at the same time, you know, given what's happening in journalism and you know, the lack of resources in most places to do investigative reporting, you know, I think you just have to be really grateful that, that, the, that the resources are there to do it and that people have the courage to, to do it even though it's you know, we're investigating the, the network's biggest product, really. So, um, and I don't think, I've always felt like even though it's more acute at, at ESPN, it's not that different in some ways than like CBS, which has an entertainment, it's mostly an entertainment network and it has 60 minutes, so, um, you know, in that sense, it's not really so, so different, I don't think.
0: And I think, it, it, Steve was saying this earlier too, there's two things I'm going to say. Are, one is I remember when I went to ESPN, when I was, got uh, offered the job at ESPN and I was trying to decide whether to do it, um, I talked to Steve, who I sort of asked for advice about most things and uh, most things not all things but <laughs> and uh, and I was like well you know what about the possible conflicts because everybody talks about the conflicts the ESPN and his answer was I think the right one because you're just not going to know until you know you'll ask all the questions you'll do the due diligence and then you're not really going to know until you sort of live it and do it and the reality has been we've li- I've been living it and doing it for seven years now and you know no one's ever said boo so um, and the other thing is I do think Steve was saying this earlier that, that there's a I think that there's a you know, the the narrative that ESPN is conflicted is a obvious one and a convenient one. And you know, there's an element and a, and, true one. and a true one. is very you know, but that that the reality of how it plays out, I think is uh, most people are not they're not informed on it. They're just they're just saying it because it's uh, in front of them and there to say. But if you if you really spent time and actually looked at the journalism we're doing I think it's a hard sell to argue that like we're going soft on the NFL or you know we're backing away. I just think it's a hard sell when you look at the facts. So.
1: Thanks for listening. You can find past episodes of our show on our website ire.org/podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you like this one, it would be excellent if you could leave us a review and or rating on iTunes. This is a pretty easy way you can support us and help new listeners find the show. So do it. Ready? Go. Okay, and if you did find us already through a subscription for today's show, you might click over to our website for links to everything we've discussed today, much of Mark and Steve's reporting work on concussions, Links to League of Denial, both book and documentary. Will Smith is a Malu trailer. All kinds of good stuff. IRE web editor Sarah Hutchins edits the podcast. I produced this episode. Our emails are in the show notes, so please do reach out with any questions, comments, or ideas. Next time, contributor Aaron Pelish talks to Jeff Maitrot of the Minneapolis Star Tribune about his powerful reporting on the rising number of deaths on family farms. Um, she, she knew
2: in a rough sense what happened. He died in this accident, but she never really wanted to, to go into the details. So the day that we did the interview was literally the first time she heard the, the details of what happened that day. And it was, it was very painful for her. And it was
0: painful for all of us. It was the hardest interview I think I've ever done in my whole life.
1: That's it for this episode. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm Sean Chinnaman.
0: Podcast. Might do that okay. yeah. Podcast. Podcast.